Hello, welcome to Local Anesthetic Podcast, your weekly injection of mind-numbing local news. My name is Alex, and this is Rob. Good evening. And uh, we are recording at 6.30pm on the 28th of June, Rob, and <laughs> although this is a podcast all about local news, and it is episode 183, as you know, I often do a general anesthetic feature where we talk about more national news, and Rob and I have decided to completely break with tradition this week, and we're going to start off. Our opening segment will be to get right into it and start about the the huge events that have happened um, in British politics this week, because we've got you, Rob, and, and this will be our general anaesthetic segment, and then we can yeah. get on with some mildly amusing local news stories and then get on to a listener story. Lovely. Um, do you have any news, though, before we start? Um, you mentioned to me that a listener had submitted something to us. Uh, yes. I mean, I, I know we haven't uploaded an episode, but people have still been con- getting contact, which is always appreciated. And... I had a very strange submission, mm. and it was actually two listeners sending us a photograph, which very rarely happens. Not another. Uh, it's not another one we need to give to the police, is it? It wasn't. It's not that guy who photoshopped my head onto Jack Nicholson's head. <laughs> no, it's not. Right, which it's, I still love. Uh, no, it wasn't that. So, well, Rob, you might love it, but you don't have to live with the daily fear of assassination like I do. You've got a birthday coming, haven't you? No. Right, okay. <laughs> Why? Am I more likely to be assassinated on my birthday? No, I'm just thinking that, you know, a possible present, maybe like on a, your face or that, that image on like a, a towel or... No, I don't. I really don't want that, Rob, and I wouldn't take kindly to receiving it. <laughs> right, okay. I'll bear that in mind. Anyway, so this photo was sent in by Kyber and Steve. Uh, well, it was Steve mainly. And it's the two of them together. Are they together? Uh, not that I'm aware, no. I think they're just... Can you confirm with us whether the two of you are in a romantic relationship or not? I'm sure they may have mentioned that. I don't think Why they would are. they mention it? Maybe this is their way of trying to tell us. Good point. Okay, so um, it's the two of them. Uh, did they say why they'd sent us a picture of themselves? Let me see. I don't think he did in the tweet. No, I don't think he mentioned it. Uh, just he just uh, So Steve just put, thought you'd approve of me and Kyber in some local action. Now, uh, I'm not sure if that's some sort of game. Are they dog, dogging? No, no, no. They're just, uh, they're just, it looks like they're sitting in a pub. Right. Reading uh, the, as you can kind of understand, the Derby Telegraph and also, strangely, the New Shopper. Hang on a minute. If they're in Derby, how did they get a copy of the New Shopper? That's a very good question. Steve, how did you get a copy of the New Shopper? We, we, we didn't they didn't tell us what they did for jobs yet, though, did they? No, no. we know Steve works. Yeah, gone. And also to say, I think they're trying to mimic the picture that's on the, the Facebook page. You know, the two of us were half, half... Yeah, I'm very familiar with it because yeah. it's where that guy, that lunatic, got the top of my head. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> going back to that. Great. So there you go. Oh, they really did get it. Now, hang on. Which one's Kyber? Which one's Steve? That's the question. That's a good question. I think Steve is on the right-hand side and Kyber's on the left. How do you know this? Because I think I asked him. Right. And and to me, Kyber does look like he might sell crystals on a market store. That's I mean, yeah, I said. that's a possibility. I mean, uh, I wouldn't say that necessarily Steve is an undertaker, though. I'm not. We don't know that's a pub, Rob. That could be one of their kind of stately homes. You know, they've got the books there, they've got the sort of mahogany bookshelf, they've got the the sort of uh, green upholstered couch. I think that's their home. Yes, but also that's the, looks like the, I mean, I can, uh, this is sad that I know that, but I, I would almost stake my reputation on the fact that that's the Weatherspoons. Rob spent a lot of his time there. <laughs> Weatherspoons, of course, were pro-Brexit. Yes. Let us talk now, Rob, about... Thank you, Kyber and Steve. Anybody else wants to send us pictures of themselves? We would like them. Are we going to put that up on Facebook? Yeah. With their permission. We shouldn't put it up without their permission. No, no, I will ask them and just make sure they're happy with, with us doing that. Yeah. They, they remind me of a sort of modern-day right... Um, a modern-day um, right-said Fred. Yes, absolutely. 
but from Derby. I don't know. I don't, where, I don't even know where they were from. Where are White said Fred? Who cares? Anyway, let's someone get on with the podcast. Right, Rob, let's talk about this week. Uh, we're not going to talk about the football because this is a news podcast, but needless to say that we left Europe yesterday and... The second Brexit of the week. And a week prior to that, well, not a week, but a little less than that, we, we Brexit happens. Now, what's good? What's going to be good about this podcast, I think, in us talking about this, is that unlike a lot of things you're probably going to hear where it's going to be a lot of people agreeing, you and me do come from different slightly different sides of this angle because vote, Rob did vote to stay in. I didn't ask you in the end. What did you vote? I voted to stay out, which I always said I would. Oh, yeah. As a man of principle, I voted to stay out. Uh, to, to leave the European Union for very, and, and I'm sure Rob and I both had equally, we talked about it a lot, didn't we? Mm. We talked about it, I think, on the podcast and off the podcast. Yeah. So, I mean, actually, why don't we just summarise, why, why did you vote to stay and I'll say why I voted to leave? And neither of us should judge each other. No, that's fair enough. So I voted to stay in the European Union uh, because, one, I think, I felt that the European Convention on Human Rights was an important piece of legislation and I can't, I couldn't, sort of stand the idea that the, it was going to be abolished by um, the Conservative government. I know I need to listen to this, and I will, but to be fair, we're, we're responsible for the European Convention of Human Rights, Great Britain, other people who came up with that European Convention of Human Rights, just to point that out. Are we? Yes. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. Okay. The point is, we, 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 we are capable of having a treaty on human rights ourselves. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I completely agree with that. But That's my understanding of it anyway. But I my concern a, is that... I thought the whole thing with Jean-Luc Picard, not, <laughs> not him, whatever the actor is who plays him. Right. What about it? Um, I think also it was based on the fact that... Well, I think for me it was, it was concerned about what the, the effects would have on, on the UK. Yeah. Um, you didn't want us to become a little England, that's why. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing we discussed in the podcast. But also, I mean, I realised that obviously the, the effects on the stock market were inevitable... Um, but I just I can imagine that the effects will be more long term, and I think a recession is inevitable, and that's one of the reasons I, I think I voted against it. So your reasons for wanting to stay in were more about fear of what would happen if we weren't in it. Was there any positive reason why you wanted to stay in the European Union? Well, I think there, there are a lot of positives to be honest. You haven't said any. <laughs> well, I feel I have. I haven't felt inspired. What you didn't say anything. You said you were worried about us being in recession. You haven't okay. said anything. You said the European Convention of Human Rights. Okay. Also, the fact that. We're talking about a free trade zone, which I realise could be could be set up if we, we exited. But the fact that we were part of that economy and the single currency, I think, we, uh, sorry, and the single market, I should say, not single mm-hmm. currency, have been beneficial to our economy on the whole. And the fact that the most of our, our import and export is with the, the European Union. Um, you didn't want to rock the boat. You were quite happy with the position we were in, basically. Well, the trouble is, I'm, see, I'm, I've always been said I'm, I'm very liberal when it comes to this because I understand that a lot of people consider the European Union a failed experiment. But I could see that there are benefits to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I could see it from both sides. That's the problem. But I just felt that it was far, far more beneficial and you would have, to remain in. And you would have liked to have, us to have stayed in and reformed it from within, I guess. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Which was, which was the only thing that I leant towards as an idea. My, my reasons for voting out were, as I think I've maybe explained in this podcast before, mainly about the, uh, for, for, for purely about the reason about democracy. Mm. As you know, I'm Tony Benn was one of my favourite politicians, probably my favourite politician who's been in this country, you know, the great Prime Minister that we never had in a way. Yeah. And he was anti-Europe all of his life and campaigned to take us out of Europe. And his reasons for doing so weren't so much about immigration or anything to do with that. They were about the, 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 the problem of the European Union itself and the direction that it may or may not be heading. My problem with it is, is that when people initially voted to enter into the common trade zone of Europe, 
That's what they were voting for. So people like my parents, when there was a referendum about all this, that's what they voted for. They voted in the 60s, I think it was, to go into this trading bloc. And then Maastricht happened in the 1970s, the Maastricht Treaty, and that's when you got all the rebels in the Tory group yeah. who, who were very against it. And the reason they were against it is suddenly it was being changed from a trading bloc to a political union. There was this creeping political union coming into it, which people really, that you know, I guess there have been since then, that's where this divide has come from, people who didn't... A lot of people didn't like the idea of becoming part of the United States of Europe. And that is my sole problem with the organisation. The organisation's expressed goals are, in the end, for that to be what it is. And the United States of Europe, one flag, one army, one anthem, all the rest of it. Yep. That is where this project is heading. Do I, do I feel that Britain should be part of that? Would I want us to be subsumed into a supranational state but rather like the United you, States of America? Do you honestly think that with every country would lose their sovereignty? They would willingly surrender to this, to this one nation state? Yes, I do think that. I think given the right circumstances they would because the, 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 the planetary population, if I can put it like that, have, been, have, been, have, have shown on, an, on countless occasions that they're more than willing to cede whatever they think is necessary to protect their security. So I think in the event of some cataclysmic terrorism thing or whatever, I think there's plenty of people who would, under the right circumstances, do that. But the point is, the point to me is, is that all of this to me is a moot point, our referendum, because I believe that... Had we stayed in, regardless, at some point this referendum would have happened and we would have gone out. Because at some point, those pressures about... Because when David Cameron did his renegotiation, yeah. one of the things he got was a committal that we'll, we will forever be outside this idea of ever closer union. And eventually that was going to reach breaking point anyway. Because Europe already hated us because we had one foot in and one foot out anyway. Yeah. Because we weren't committed to the whole goal. I mean, even Cameron himself was a signed-up Eurosceptic in his word. He's a Eurosceptic, but he believed we were better off in... Than now. There wasn't anybody, you know, Cameron wasn't massively passionate about the EU, nor was Corbyn. They both no. had their, their views that were against it. But, but, but for me, eventually, this, this, this move towards ever closer union would have, would have caused this to happen anyway. And I think we will be the first, probably, of many people to leave. I think what Europe but will do now this is, what they're is they'll heavily punish us. Exactly. In order to make, to, it, they make yeah. an example and of this, us in order to prevent exactly. other countries leaving. And this then should highlight to people the sort of organisation that Europe is. My problem with Europe, when I look at Europe and I think, well, let's look at what the European Union is. It is not this benevolent force and never has been. The way they treated Greece... Mm. You know, it was like Tor it was like Thatcherite people on acid. Yes, but at the same time, this is a country that still wants to remain in the European Union. The people voted overwhelmingly yeah. to remain in. But but nevertheless, the EU isn't some kind of it's not the social democracy it once was. It's no, pursuing I, I, a new it's considering a very neoliberal austerity heavy agenda. Yeah. And therefore, that's another reason not to be part of it. Now you might say that by going out of it you're just stuck with a Tory government in that way. Well I, I I'm aware of that. But to me, this is more about one of the things, like, my parents down in Dorset are very upset about the result. My mum is sulking about it because she voted to stay in and she's very, very unhappy. Right. She is incredibly unhappy because she's having to listen to the wittering rambles of various people who live down there about various things. Yes, and I, I can, believe that. Yeah. And I can sympathise with her. But I mean, what, that's, that's, that's another very good point, is the fact that the way yeah, no. that the Leave campaign have... Mm -hmm. Well, been campaigning over the last... Uh, God knows how long, has been... Appalling. It has been disgusting. We're talking about a campaign. The Remain campaign half, was half truth. The Remain campaign was was exactly the same. Full of half truths. Full of fear mongering. I mean, neither of them. Neither of them conducted themselves well. No. Okay. But that that's, that, that's politics for you. But my problem is what a lot of people are saying is this is unfair on the young. Because I've got a few points I want to make about this. They say it's unfair on the young. The first point to say is is that the people who originally voted us in 
to the European trading bloc are the people who were basically lied to and feel that they were lied to. Because what you'll hear from everybody in that generation, they will say, the people who are resentful of it, they'll say, we voted for this and it became this and we were never given a choice about that and that was wrong. So it's the same people who voted out, basically. Yeah, and so therefore they, those people, I think, completely have the right to take us out because they're the ones who made the decision in the first place. The second thing is people say it's not fair for the old people to make a decision that's going to affect a, a younger generation and they're going to be long dead and it's only going to affect these younger people. Fair enough. But... I think I actually personally believe, being quite traditional in some ways that I am, that I think we should tend to listen to older and wiser heads more than younger people. When I was younger, there was a whole raft of things I wanted. I've seen plenty of interviews with young people who seem to know absolutely nothing about the issues. And the second thing is, the young people didn't fucking come out and vote. If they bothered to come out and vote, we would still be in. The turnout of young people was something like 24%. I think it was higher than that, but yeah. It was slightly higher than that. Yeah, but it wasn't great. So what I'm saying is they should have mobilised themselves and gone out and voted. But the trouble is, I think, when you have... When you have a campaign that's been fought by the same politicians that they feel, you know, dis- disenfranchised. No, you take my point, though. There's no oh, point yeah, coming out and complaining about absolutely. it afterwards. But it's very difficult. How do you mobilise the youth if they don't feel they're being mm. represented? I would have liked to have seen the Leave campaign. And I do think... Uh, to, the, other, the other problem I have is that I don't like... And I've seen it everywhere. I've seen it from The Guardian to people like John Oliver and all over the place. What I don't like is the attitude that is incredibly patronising and it comes out all the time over various issues. And it's come out here, which is that... The only reason that this happened is because the people were ill-informed. And basically, it's people like, uh, you know, uh, uneducated, ill-informed people who shop at Iceland who've caused this mess. Yeah. This is a constant narrative you have. There's an, and, and also then the idea that this has happened because of um, r- racist attitudes amongst certain people in the UK. We don't know any of that. It is an assumption that is being made. We don't know, for example, how many people voted to, to leave on the principles why Tony Benn wanted us out there, yeah. which has nothing to do with immigration or being racist or anything to do with that. Um, if you look at, as I've said before, 60% of what Nigel Farage says has nothing to do with immigration. He does make more of the immigration issue than somebody like a Boris Johnson might make, who's fairly mm. pro-EU. But if you look at the debates, they were always sectioned off into three or four areas. Immigration was just one of them. But the idea of sovereignty and the idea of democracy was a big part of it. So there might well be a lot of people who voted on the basis that I voted, which is that I believe that the European Union in some way has a has a goal has an end goal, a very clear end goal, which I doesn't sit comfortably with me. But that I do not want to be part of the European super That state. idea of sovereignty has been hijacked. I do believe this. I honestly believe that by, by certain factions, certain right-wing factions, the idea of sovereignty is almost a supremacist idea where it should be white and white only. I mean, it's quite worrying for me that there has I been... I didn't hear anybody this. say that, though. I haven't heard anybody say that. What I'm saying is, my, my, my problem... A lot of my problem with all this is, is that as well, is that there's been a lot sort of lost in the fog of history here. Let's go back to the Labour Party, which you're a signed up member of and you know is the party which I would lean towards very strongly. Let's look at Labour pre-19... Well, basically pre-Blair, but if we go back before that. Mm. You won't find many supporters of the European Union in that party. No. None of that old guard. That's why you have people like George Galloway, who were old, Guard, the people like Tony Benn, the people like Corbyn, who campaigned against the EU all his political life, old socialist Labour were never pro-EU. No. You had a group of people on the Tory side who were very anti-EU, and, and, and the left generally were anti-EU for the reasons that it was seen as being quite a malevolent force. Mm. Blair 
significantly, I think, more than any other person changed all that. Mm. And attitudes uh, for the EU became something that was almost this thing to look favourably upon. That's why people can't understand what's happened with Corbyn now. Corbyn got in on a mandate. Corbyn was quite clearly anti-EU. You could look at all of his speeches he'd been anti-EU. And then he was pressured into supporting the Remain campaign. Otherwise, he would have had a complete nightmare on his hands. But if people want to know why he's lukewarm against it, it's quite clear why he's lukewarm against it, because he campaigned all of his life against it. Yeah. And I do wonder if he deliberately undermined his own campaign because he secretly wanted. I do believe that as well. Because he secretly wanted to be out of it. But what I'm saying is, is that the only people it seems to me, Rob, on a purely political view, who want to be part of the European Union are neoliberals. That is it. That may well be the case of the Labour Party and of the Tory Party, generally speaking. I'm not saying. Generally speaking, and that and and to me, what I'm fascinated by, as some people are upset about this, is well, tell me what what it is you think about this European Union that is that is so wonderful, and and a lot of things people talk about are the things that they see at the moment, yeah. not what they see at the end, because at the end of it, would they actually be happy to be under? You're saying you think it's unlikely it would happen, but under one flag under one anthem, with one army. Is that what they would want? I mean, I just think the problem with the European project is it's trying to do what happens, for example, in the United States of America, but in a very different circumstance. We don't have a shared culture in that way that could be easily integrated I, Alex, across I, this I continent. I completely agree with you coming it's from. It's not about my non-whites. concern is... My, no, I, do, yeah. I, I honestly think that's an element to it. I honestly that think might well be an element there is to an, it. There is an uneducated, an ignorant part of this country, unfortunately, voted purely for, for, uh, for Brexit... On the back of, they thought it would, it, would, it would curb immigration. There will be some people who thought that. That's absolutely true. But we don't know what the motivations of everybody And we don't know the percentage of people who, who would be of, of that mindset either. I completely agree. But I think we have to acknowledge there is an element of that. Yeah, but that doesn't make it a good reason to stay in the EU. To me, it would force out, me in the opposite What's direction. been pointed out to me, what's been most fascinating to me is talking to people who are immigrants, who were migrants into this country, mm. who, are all more, you, who you are the people who talk to you in the most staunch terms about immigration. Yeah. This is the problem we have. We have a kind of white elite in this country who think that we know best. Actually, when you talk to people who actually came, come to this country, they tend to be, will talk to you about it because they can see it from both sides. Yeah, and what they universally tend to tell me is that they will have come at a certain period, like maybe in the 60s or whatever, when a lot of those people came over 70s, yeah, worked hard, everything else, when immigration was much smaller. And they have come into this country and they know from personal experience, from talking to people back home, from knowing people in their communities, from whatever, they universally say that other countries see the UK as a soft touch. That's yeah. what they say. This idea that people come here because we're this great, wonderful country is complete codswallop. They come here because we're fairly free and because they believe that there are certain ways around the system which they implement. So often what you find is that people who've come to this country and work very hard tend to be very resentful of the people they see coming from their country and neighbouring countries who come and take off the state and they see it. And, and I think they're, they're worth listening to. But that doesn't... The, the point is, what I've tried to say to people about the immigration thing is, thinking that somehow voting out of the EU is going to solve immigration is a complete fallacy. Absolutely. Because every country has a problem with immigration, regardless of whether you control your borders or not. But what I would say is, the desire to want to control your own borders, which doesn't mean anything about how many people you're going to let in or not, because mm. you could end up saying we want more immigrants. But the desire to want to control your own borders doesn't seem to me to be a um, unreasonable desire to have no but my, this is the point I, that I, I want to do, make do you hear what I'm saying absolutely I know I completely agree but my my understanding was that 
from elements, and, that's, and like I said, it might be a minority of of the Leave campaign was the idea that they that they would try and cap net uh, migration, which is something that they never promised. And I I, I know I can, yeah. I can my anticipate what you're about to say. It wasn't it wasn't their their prerogative to try and set that agenda. But it's just I was going to say that Cameron, of course, was the first person who said I'm going to get immigration down to ten thousands when he knew he couldn't. Yeah, people absolutely. have all used this as a political. But football. this is the thing. I think a lot of people who voted Leave generally thought that it would then mean that we would be closing our borders. Altogether, yeah, I agree with that. My 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 view on all of this, though, is is that we have to be more sensible and nuanced about this. There's no point us trying to continually kick the people who are who who we think are uneducated and are very resentful of immigrants and all this. Because the reason it's happened is because of our immigration policy. What you might want to, what the way we might want to look at it is, if we want people to feel comfortable with immigration and not react in a very sort of base way in a very sort of xenophobic way we need to manage immigration in a way that helps people to feel comfortable with it and settled with it and inevitably if you just look at the statistics the fact that we used to have 30,000 people come to this country a year we now have hundreds of thousands come a year that is going to put pressures I think it has been divisive and created a lot of this hate and everything else it's very easy for sort of the fairly well-off or even the wealthy to look down and say, well, you know, immigration's a good thing. But if we don't live in these communities and we don't know what they have to face and we don't see the tensions, it's like you've got to find a way of managing it so that people can see the benefits so you get people on side. I do, my, my whole thing about the leave thing is is that I, where I agree is I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, actually, we'd like to be a country like we, like we used to be, like Canada. Like Japan is a small island nation. Mm. We're very similar to Japan. Controls its own border, border. But at least if you do that, you can, say, you, you can lay out the positive case for immigration. You could have more immigrants if you want them. But the, the, the point is, I, the European project is, is actually pretty um, unique in, on the globe. Yeah. What it's trying to do, where it's headed, the way it works... And now they're doing exactly the, the same sort of tactics they use with Greece and everything else. They're, 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 they, I believe they're going to want to punish us heavily to detract they other people to. from doing the same thing. The problem they've got is, is that uh, my understanding is from polling in places like the Netherlands, the majority of people want to leave. Well, I think and in numerous kind of countries. I mean, we know for a fact... Why couldn't we go the, back the to a trading block again? Yeah, I agree with that. Was the euro a good idea? No, I don't, no. this is what I was about to come on to because I think the euro as a currency is so utterly fragile... And with the, a ridiculous idea in the first yeah, place. That any small fluctuation, and this is why I think they're trying to make an example of us, try to uh, anything to try and bring stability back to uh, back to it, because I think with our exit and once it's been finalised, because I mean, and and you know, I, I we don't know which way it's going to go. We don't know the timeframes. But when we do finally go, when it's been we when it's been um, uh, all agreed and so on and so forth, there is a good possibility that it will have a huge detrimental effect on the euro. And yeah. will possibly send countries into recession. Yeah. yeah. And then God knows where we go from there. In the, we need to bring this to a close. We've been talking for a long time. Oh, but, 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 no, 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 no. I mean, I've been talking for a long time. But the, the let, let, let's not deflect away. Because the problem I've got at the moment is everybody in their sort of um, jitteriness is kind of looking for the wrong people to blame. And what I'm flabbergasted by is that once again, this Teflon Tory party manages to escape people's wrath. <laughs> The only reason we had this referendum is it's the sole responsibility of the Conservative Party. It's an election pledge, yeah. They made an election pledge because they didn't want to be in the coalition anymore. They wanted to win a majority. It's one of the things that they said they would do, you know, and they had to have this coalition. They eventually won their very slim majority. But one of the ways they tried to appease, because they've always had this problem with Europe, yep. to stretch back however long, 
And this has been a way of, of managing that internal party situation. I think they were very complacent. I don't think for a second they thought that we would vote out. Um, and the, what I'm saying is nobody else, if you'd voted Labour, you wouldn't have got a referendum. And they were clear about that. Mm. They were clear about that. We're not going to do a referendum because we don't think it would be good for the country. I, think, I don't think a referendum is a way to deal with this. I don't, think it's a, I don't think it's a sensible way to deal with it. And if you're going to have a referendum, I think you need something like 60% needs to be the vote. So you've got a very clear majority. Or I think it would have been fair to say for David Cameron to have accepted the proposal of Nicola Sturgeon when she said that unless a majority in each of the countries that make up the United Kingdom vote for this, it shouldn't go ahead. Yeah, that's that's also a fair idea. He rejected that. He probably wasn't sensible to reject it now. But the Tory party, the people who promised this, Cameron is the one that, that delivered it. I don't think a referendum was a way of dealing with it. I think a better way would have been to have, to, to, to have for the Tory party to have had their own internal referendum on were they pro or anti-Europe, and then everybody had to get in line. And if they decided they were an anti-Europe party wanted us to leave Europe, that's what they should campaign on, and that's what people should elect them on, the clear understanding that your manifesto is you're going to take us out of Europe, rather than this referendum, because that would have avoided the whole, a lot of this mess. I don't so, know if you think about this. I, no, I agree with that. Absolutely. You know, if you vote UKIP, you know what you're going to get. Yeah. So the answer, the question is now, how do we wrap up this section? <laughs> well, I, I, I'm not entirely sure, but I mean, we do need to give a fleeting mention to what's happening with Labour and the, the coup that's happening there. I, I, I would like to make a prediction. We're on 24 minutes. I would oh, like fucking hell. I would like to make a prediction, Rob, and that is that I don't think knowing, judging by what I've seen throughout history and especially recent history, I have a 80 percent, 90 percent feeling that our leaving the European Union will never materialise. From yes. what I know about the establishment and what I know about the, the games they play and everything else that we see continually, and we've seen referendums happen in other countries that they've then been forced to have another referendum on until the right result I is given. I also think people don't realise that the referendums, they're not legally binding. The best this is is an opinion poll, and that's it. Well, I disagree with that, Rob, <laughs> for fundamental reasons of democracy, because that wasn't what was told to us. If you'd given a referendum and told that's going to be our decision... But it's not legally binding, is it? It's not legally binding, but you wouldn't. But, but it would be completely undemocratic for MPs to... But then surely, if, if, if they then say, actually, we've, we've considered it, unfortunately, we're not we're going to activate Article 50, we're going to remain in there, then, then what is it? My point is, I think that the powers that be will manoeuvre us into having another referendum, that, that, that the situation will get so bad that people will therefore want to stay in. That's the classic way that they operate. You, 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 you create us enough of a crisis that people will do what you say they want you to. Um, because there's no way I think the establishment want us to be away from the European Union. And I think they will end up getting the desired goal. And that will be a great, great tragedy. But that is the way these things happen. I'm not sure how bad. I think at the moment the markets are, are, are obviously in complete meltdown and everything. But that doesn't necessarily mean what it's going to be in the, in the long term. No. But I can't see that this will happen. I mean, already... Cameron, who said, I will trigger Article 50 as soon as this vote is done if people were to leave, has, ma- has cleverly resigned in order to stall that, because now he's got an excuse. He can say, well, it can't happen until the new leader's in. There's no point in me doing it. Yeah. Europe are very pissed off with this because it leaves them in uncertainty. But what I'm saying is, Rob, can't, uh, can you, I'm not talking about our parliament saying, you know, we're not going to listen to the people. I don't think that will work. I think that would cause revolt. But what I can see happening is that somehow they manage to manoeuvre a position where we have to have another referendum and people vote to stay in. I'd like to believe that. And then, I in, as I said, in 50 years' time or however long time, we'll, we'll realise what the result of being a part of the European Union. I'd really like to believe that. I really would. But, but, I, but I, They did it with that. They did, don't you remember Ireland? 
They forced them to have a second referendum until they mm. got the right result. But people use referendums for that all the time. You just keep you just keep asking them until you get because let's say enough people start. We've already had those people do that petition, huge petition, millions of signatures saying we want a second referendum. I think it's not, yeah, it's about four million now. Yeah. Yeah. I think what will happen is at some point we'll start talking about what the terms of this agreement will be. It will look really shit. It'll look like we'll still have to accept free movement of people, everything else. And then people will say, Well, okay, well, do you want a second referendum? People will say, Yes, they'll give us one, and then we'll say, No, you know what, we'll stay in. I honestly think that will happen. 80%, I tell you. In a few months' time, I'll be sitting here saying, what a load of bollocks that was. Okay, now, if any of you really hate anything to do with national news and only tune into this podcast because you like hearing sort of banal, funny, sinister local news, I'm very sorry for the last half an hour. And if you've made it this far, Rob and I are returning now to ridiculousness. And I think, Rob, why don't you start us off this week, mate? But we're really going to have to, I think, do one story each... Fair enough. And a listener story. That's fine. Okay, well, I'm going to start with this because I love this story. And it's it's nice, it's light, it's a complete contrast to what it came before. So this is from a, a new website that I've never seen, but it was... Um, the story was covered on the Gloucester Citizens website. The Citizen! So this is the... I'm just going to carry on. Especially in light of what's just happened. Uh, um, this is a Gloucestershire Live website. Uh, and it's by the Gloucestershire Echo, so I don't know whether they're moonlighting on another website. I've got no know. idea. So, anyway, headline. Like a scene from Hot Fuzz, police swoop on a legal duck race in the Cotswolds. <laughs> you see? You see, Rob? In, if we stayed in the European Union, eventually there would be no duck race. You're right. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, th- apparently that's what they were going to stop anyway. So, police swooped on a picturesque Cotswold village after snooty locals complained about the charity fundraiser holding a rubber duck race. A, oh, not even real ducks. No, a rubber duck Rubber race. ducks. Yeah. Organised ascenders on Bought on, the Ro- Bought on the Water. How do rubber ducks have a race? Uh, I mean, that would be, wouldn't that just be a lot of people standing around looking at some rubber ducks right. that aren't moving? If you can imagine this, this is, we are talking, Bought on the Water was there last year. It is the most picturesque village in the UK. So basically, down the middle of the high street, there runs a river mm. and there's little like stone bridges across the river. So basically, these ducks were put in the river so they could float down. And obviously, they put a bet on which duck will get to the end first. That does sound like smashing fun. <laughs> I'm not sure if you're being serious. No, I actually am. Oh, right. I'd really quite enjoy that. It also has a motor museum where, do you remember the TV show Brum? No. Right. Uh, officers ascending on board in the water to break up the charity event, which is raising money for a local branch of blood bikes. So, you know, a really good charity oh, course. blood bikes? Uh, well, we used to have a friend who used to deliver blood. Oh, no, no, he didn't. He just had the bike and the jacket. Um, so bikes that deliver blood from when, you know. Right. Yeah. Uh, the charity is made up of volunteer riders who operate a free uh, blood and medical equipment delivery say, service to the NHS. I think you'll find they secretly harvest that blood for the um, real-life... Draculas who run the European Union. Right. I think that's what you'll find. But fundraisers went into hot water when they held a charity duck race in the village on Sunday afternoon. I, I, I really am aching to... I cannot think of any reasonable reason why police would want to break up this duck race. This is I'm fascinated brilliant. to know. Minutes after around 100 rubber ducks were launched into the river Windrush, which snakes through the centre of the village, a resident called the police. According to an ancient bylaw, the river and village green cannot be used on Sundays for fundraising purposes. Wow. Yeah. That, that... And the police responded to this. And the yes. police responded to this. Yes. Have they got nothing better to do? Uh, well, apparently not around here. Bizarrely, the only group allowed to hold an event on Sunday is a brass band. Uh, officers from Gloucestershire Police ordered the organisers to hold the event or risk arrest. Uh, organisers on... Uh, sorry, Sunday onlookers said the dramatic scenes looked, looked like something out of the film Hot Fuzz. 
Sales director Jonathan Dixon, 45 in Cheltenham, took his two sons to watch the duck race. He said, it was bonkers. Everyone was having a great time and the kids were, ra- uh, kids were chasing after the ducks as they went down the river. Suddenly a police car came along and two officers went over and started to, to talk to the two chaps who were running the event. The event was abandoned after the first two races. Apparently the rules broke some old bylaw and villagers got upset and called the police. Extraordinary. Yeah. Who won the race? Nobody. It, it doesn't say, unfortunately, no. Um, so were the ducks just left to go? Are they now like... Does that, that river must meet the sea at some point? I'm assuming point. they must have the caught at some stage. <laughs> the river will eventually be- get into the, the ocean. Well, they said that they had a few races. I'm guessing they, they would have rounded up the ducks, and, unless they let, let you get to where floods and floods, rubber ducks just float down into a... I'm not sure where the river... The river I can't speak. River wind, wind I'm not sure direction it was going, but maybe they've washed up on the beaches of France somewhere. Maybe, maybe. It's some sort of and weird protest. And there's lots of French people protesting against English duck, rubber ducks, invading their shores. Mm. <laughs> But business owners in the village, village nicknamed Little Venice, stood by the decision to call the police. One shopkeeper in the village said the bylaws are in place for a reason and they must be respected. Sorry, why did they not want this duck race to go ahead? Surely it would have brought business and... Because they were violating bylaws. <laughs> yeah, you would have thought that it would actually be beneficial for them if it brings tourists to the area. I reckon this is something else. I reckon this is a long-running feud between like two sets of... Two, two factions in this village. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just another reason to get one over on the other side. I mean, people come far wide obviously to watch this duck race and suddenly, you know, the, the kids are enjoying it and they see police turn up and <laughs> just shut the whole event down. Yeah. This, this is Little Britain. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is, Rob, but it's, it's, it, that, that does seem like the sort of thing that the European Union, uh, the Union would do. Rob, before we go on um, to my story, I want to show you uh, because, as you know, I sometimes snap random pictures of things. I've got pictures of I've got I've got a picture of a van, two different vans right. that I saw around London. I've got to find the uh, hope that the first one is here. Um, Can I also say, we're looking for this. I've got one oh, story. I'm not going to read it out, but I'd like you to try and guess who the celebrity mentioned in the headline is because it is fantastic. Why aren't you going to read it out? Because it's not particularly a good story. Uh, uh, well, Noel Evans. Uh, oh, good guess. No. Um, what was really strange, by Richard the way, Maidley. when I was, n- no, when I was editing the podcast, uh, so I listened to the, the last episode and literally as I finished, I turned on in uh, Ian Lee's podcast, which we obviously talked about on our podcast, and suddenly he was having a pop at... Noel Edmonds. Noel Edmonds, because of the cancer suffering. He'd, uh, that is said, weird. Can I just say, the other night, Rob, I had a dream that you were in and Noel Edmonds was in. And I'm not sure you turned up during part of it. But for is it homoerotic, just so I know? Rob, I want to say, you know when you have a dream and it's incredibly real feeling, so you almost remember it like it's a real memory. In this dream, I was staying with Noel Edmonds. And Noel Edmonds, as I still almost kind of believe because the dream is so real, appears to live in my dream world in a, in a detached house, a very, very, not you know, quite a modest house that I was surprised considering how wealthy he is, in Wales. Right. On just a normal suburban street. And, and, and what I was surprised by was he had... Two old television sets in his living room where you thought he would have the modern ones and a VHS player. And I remember commenting on this and he said he was very sad that VHSs went out. So he kept his video player. What, do you know what was really annoying about him, Rob, while I was staying there? Because for some reason in the stream I was there about three days and it really felt like it. Right. He, uh, he had this very annoying habit of being up at 5.30 in the morning and making quite a lot of noise doing things. You'd wake up. And you'd find him in the kitchen at 5.30 in the morning. What I'd like to say about him, he was a nice guy, but he was annoying. Yeah, well, I think that's probably the case generally. Right. Rob, Sorry, I, I don't... just have this image... Now. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but I just have this image of you coming downstairs at 5.30 and he's just sitting... No, there. I was sleeping in the living room. 
Oh, right. So, because I, I just imagine he'd be sitting there watching reruns of Noel's House Party. He was watching something, but I wasn't sure what it was. Right. He was quite interested in watching the news, as I recall. Okay. Um, this is a van I saw in central London. I have seen them before, and I'm really surprised they're still going. How much business do you think these guys get? They've been around for a long time. But how much business do you think these guys get nowadays? <laughs> Describe for the listener. Uh, so that's uh, ISIS, uh, Scaffold Inspection Specialists. Yeah, and I mean, ISIS is written in massive letters. Can I also point out the 1970 Swindon team was also sponsored by ISIS. Yeah, yeah, What's I... worse is, uh, they, they didn't say, it literally just said ISIS on their shirts. But Rob, something even more sinister that I still can't get my head around. This isn't in any way a joke or in any way invented. Oh God. This is real. And I have to say, it's the kind of thing that could only exist in the world of League of Gentlemen. Oh, I want you to describe this for the listener. It might take you a while to digest. BJ's Bouncy Castle. Yes. Disco domes and castles, bounce and slide. Activity multiplay. Gladiator duel. <laughs> um, that's amazing. You realise why I'm commenting on this? Yes, as in BJ's. <laughs> Which is a common slang for blowjob. Yeah, yes, this I is am. a children's entertainment group. Yeah, I do like the fact he also has the registration Rob, Rob. B-I-B-J-S. F-F-I-B-J's. And they say they cater for all these children's things. Um, Rob, why would you call... I just want you to look at these pictures here. BJ's Soft Play <laughs> is their main advertisement. Why would you call your children's troupe BJ's? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, but isn't it about hiding in plain sight? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, I, let me just, before we go into the story, okay, so this is for the, the Orford Recorder. I'm not going to read the story. So I'm going to read the headline. Oh, right, this is a celebrity. Yeah, yeah. but I'm going, to leave the, I'm, going to, I'm going to leave the celebrity out. So Woodford Tycoon and friend of, named Celebrity, jailed for VAT fraud. So this guy lives in Woodford. He used to manage. Uh, How do you expect me to guess this? Okay, so it was Jimmy a, Mallet. No, I'll give. I'll, I'm going to give. I'll give Jimmy you, Savile. I'll tell you what. You can have five clues. Okay. Okay. So I'll ask a guy. You know, like the S name. Yeah, right? exactly. Okay. Yeah. Is it a male? Yes. Are they on television currently? No. Oh, bollocks! I fucked that up. Were they on television in the past? They were, but they're not known for that particularly. You could, you're meant to be just yes or no. Are, oh, they a, are they a musician? Yes. Are they under 50? Mm, so they're around that age. Yes. They're under 50? Uh, I think he, he... I'll give you this. He may have been 50 before his passing. Oh, he's dead? He's dead. Hey. So this is a man? Prince! Very close. So hey. he, apparently... Michael Jackson? Spot on. Well, I thought they were British. Uh, that wasn't the question. Right. So Woodford Tycoon and friend, friend of Michael Jackson mailed, uh, uh, jailed for VAT fraud. Irrelevant. Don't well, bring Michael Jackson. <laughs> Don't bring Michael Jackson to this. What I love is, it doesn't mention him again in the story. Can I just say, Rob? Blame it on the boogie. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Okay, Rob, completely veering away from local news. I mean, I do have local news stories I could cover, um, but I'm not going to. Oh, should I? Actually, I'm going to give you two stories, Rob. Okay. On other famous people. Oh, right, okay. Do you remember my story recently about Rolf Harris? Do you remember what it was? How could I possibly forget? Tell the listeners. That he was making uh, makeshift didgeridoos out of toilet roll and matchsticks. And upsetting... Uh, 
upsetting... All the inmates. Oh, I see. With his didgeridoos. Yeah, yeah. This is from the new shopper. Are we sure that's not a euphemism? (laughs) We said that at the time. Patrick Grafton Green. This is a classic Patrick Grafton Green story. Okay. The reason the new shopper report on Rolf Harris is because he used to live in Sydenham. Right. Sydenham's Rolf Harris upsetting fellow inmates because he can't stop farting. (laughs) Isn't that just a didgeridoo? Can I just ask, where do they get this information from? Son... Disgraced Sydney, yeah, the Sun. Disgraced Sydney entertainer Rolf Harris is reportedly upsetting fellow inmates because he can't stop farting. Harris's chronic flatulence is thought to be a side effect of long-standing medical issues, combined with the diet in Stafford Prison of chocolate bars and cheap curries. Can I just say, yeah, chocolate bars and cheap curries? No, 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 no. Better than that. Surely, um, surely it would be. a diet in prison of chocolate bars and cheap curry. Maybe excessive flatulence as a result of, of chocolate bars and cheap curry. Yeah, lovely. A friend of his family told the son, Rolf's flatulence has got really bad. It gets particularly worse whenever he's had a curry. There's no denying that. And Rolf really is fond of curries. But the after effects, good God, it's not pretty. It's like living next to an abattoir wherever, whenever Rolf's around. What the f- no, Alice, I'm sorry. A friend <laughs> I'll of tell you what did is, not say this. It, 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 t- it's like living next to an abattoir when Craig's around. That's the only yeah, person I've ever In July 2000... Have he- Yes. In July 2014, Harris found guilty on 12 counts of indecent assault and sentenced to a total of five years and nine months in prison at Southwark Crown Court, which really makes that story even more inappropriate. Yeah. Can I just say, I just got this image now that someone's gone to visiting time with, with uh, Rolf Harris, sat down with him, and he's gone back to tell the family's like, yeah, he's, he's keeping his chip, he's doing his best, but fuck me, it's stunk in but there. But Rob, this is ridiculous. We've just had a story a couple of weeks ago about didgeridoos. Now someone else making up about fighting. This is bollocks, If Rolf ever gets out, he's going to see all this bollocks that was written. <laughs> I mean, is this, is this what else is his punishment? Is this, is this what else his punishment is, just to be made the object of ridicule? I like the idea that all these things are true. <laughs> well, they could well be. Yeah. Okay, Rob. Oh, I don't know, should I save that? Because we are... No, I'm going to read I'm Fuck it. This is actually from the Daily Mail. So oh, it's really another gosh. general anaesthetic segment. Okay. It's from 25th of June, 26th of June. Truly, madely, deeply. Oh, God. King of Daytime TV turned down author Rich... T- D- King of Daytime TV turned author Richard Madeley tells Event magazine, which is part of the mail, why he can't ever be alone with a woman in his dressing room without the doors open. Okay, Rob, so just get comfortable for this. I will never have a member of the opposite sex come into my dressing room at a TV studio, be it a researcher or producer or whoever, without leaving the door open, says Richard Madeley emphatically. Just so people can't start gossiping and saying things like, ooh, I saw so-and-so go into Richard's dressing room and all that shit. It's a disturbing, dramatic revelation from the perennially popular TV presenter and author, but he thinks it's a sensible precaution following the revelations of sexual abuse by showbiz veterans, such as Jimmy Savile and Rolf Harris, and the allegations made against innocent men, such as Cliff Richard and Jim Davidson. So he's madely being paranoid. Maybe. But then two of those jailed for indecent assault, presenter Stuart Hall and celebrity weatherman Fred Talbot, loom large over Madeley's own career. I got to know Stuart Hall pretty well when I was working at Granada in the 80s. And he was reading out the local news every night, says the svelte, tanned presenter, dressed in a sharp dressed in a sharp blue suit and a crisp white shirt. Right. My wife, Judy, and I had dinner at his house once, and I never suspected a thing, let alone heard any rumours. When he was accused and stood on the police station steps, telling the TV cameras he was totally innocent, I thought, of course you are. You're our friend, Stuart. Then his defence crumbled and it turned out he was guilty and I was appalled. <laughs> Ditto Fred Talbot, the weatherman on this morning. I had absolutely no idea. Then he adds, we were only ever work colleagues. I didn't socialise with Fred at all. He was an odd fish. Kept himself to himself. Any comments? No. Madeley has cut both former colleagues out of his life. 
I love the fact he, was, he, he really needs to, to show that he's distancing himself from these people. Yeah, it's almost a bit worrying. That he's yeah. Doing, isn't it? It's a total abuse of power, so I have zero empathy for any kind, for their kind. They don't deserve it. Needless to say, I'm not in touch anymore, he says. One half of winning daytime TV presenting team made Leo's much of his success to the natural rapport he has with his wife, Judy Finnegan. On screen, their effervescent marriage was catnip to daytime TV audiences. Off it, their enduring relationship, 30 years this year, is the bedrock of their family life. He wouldn't risk either, so despite his still boyish good looks, he could easily pass from a man of 40 rather than 60. I had no idea Richard Mayley was 60 years old. He does look good for that. And the fact that Judy is eight years older than he is, there's never been a breath of sexual scandal about him. Judy Finnegan is is 68. (laughs) I don't know. But you know what, Rob? I'm amazed that... um, I don't know, this seems like one of these stories that you pump out to the press before a scandal is about this to This is break. a puff piece, yeah, without yeah. a doubt. He recently returned to London from a long weekend at their second home in Cornwall, where he relaxes between broadcasting jobs. He presents Radio 2's Maidly on Sunday, which I really believe I need to listen to. Yeah. Because that would be like listening to Partridge for three hours. Three months a year, spread out over the year, and he's regular on the BBC's The One Show, and sits in, and I didn't know he did this, for Matthew Wright on Channel 5's The Right Stuff. Can you imagine him taking calls? Working peacefully at his kitchen table, he has forged a second successful career, as I've told you about before, Rob, as an author. His novel, new novel, The Night Book, his third, is a psychological thriller set in the Lake District during the long, hot summer of 1976. It features a pretty young wife, Meriel, an older controlling husband, and opens with a weather warning that people shouldn't try to cool off in Cumbria's lakes for fear the glacially cold waters might trigger a heart attack. The perfect cover for a midsummer murder, perhaps. He cranked out the story at the rate of 2,000 words a day. He said, I really can't work without a deadline and an editor breathing down my neck. Drawing on his own experiences of local radio reporting for one of the book's characters, the charmer Sebastian, who's a bit green, almost gets fired and drives a Triumph Spitfire. Check, 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 insofar as Maylie's own early radio career in the Northwest is concerned. I had three spits when I was in my 20s. Two Mark IIs, two Mark III, sorry, and one Mark IV, says Maylie. But his portrait of a toxic marriage is a work of pure fiction. Since... Since setting aside the occasional murderous look, as when he revealed on live TV that Judy and I, Judy and he had tried Viagra, Maidley and Finnegan clearly adore each other. It's just luck, he says. It's luck that you meet in the first place. And then there's a second piece of luck. I always think of married couples as being like a couple of rose plants growing up the wall together. If you're unlucky, you end up growing slowly apart. And one day, you look across at each other and you're on the opposite sides of the wall. If you're lucky, you grow in the same direction. We're as close as we were 30 years ago. We both write novels, do the book club together. He means a hugely successful online Richard and Judy book club. They've shifted 12 million books in the past five years. And laugh at the same things. Intellectually and emotionally, we're still very much on the same page, he says. Their double act has made them wealthy, with homes in Cornwall, London, France. But he's careful with his money. He says, I'm wearing a £50 Mickey Mouse watch. Buy my clothes from The Gap and we're not remotely spendthrift. Because Rob, people who don't have much money spend 50 quid on a watch and shop at The Gap. And you know that as well as anyone. (laughs) Sorry, he's wearing a 50 quid Mickey Mouse watch in the shops at The Gap. Yeah. First of all, who calls it The Gap? He said Gap. He didn't say The Gap. Oh, okay. That's fine. Judy and I don't have... Judy and I don't flash the cash, partly because at some point we're going to die and we'd like for our kids to have a good inheritance. His longing to leave them one does not extend to trying to lessen the tax burden of their generous income, unlike some of his show business compatriots such as Gabby Logan. Take that. And Katie Malua. This is where you respect him. He says, It would never occur to me to get involved in any of those schemes, however legal they may be. Judy and I put our savings in transparent if boring pensions and property, have always paid our taxes up front and in full. I sleep at nights. 
Okay. I just think everyone should pay their fair t- tax fair and square and not try and wriggle out of it. He shares Chris Evans' opinion that some of TV stars presenters are, high, are paid sky-high salaries. The rates are ridiculously high when you consider what it is they're doing, he muses. Then he backpedals a bit. My big paydays are over. I no longer carry with Judy the responsibility of presenting a daily show employing 150 people. When your name is on the tin, then it's you, the presenter, who gets the blame if something goes wrong. So I think it's only fair the big names are paid reasonably well. Just before I finish, continue with this story, Rob, can I just show you um, what I think is one of the best pictures I've ever seen, which is headlined Richard in his younger days posing for a holiday snap. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Describe for the listener. What the fuck is he doing? Okay, so it's Richard Maley, probably in his, maybe what, 20s, late 20s early 30s, mm. in a pair of um, very fetching speedos, doing, well, I'm assuming like a muscle man impression. But he's rake thin. He's rake thin. Well, he's obviously sucking in his, his chest. Yeah, his ribs are showing. It's a very peculiar picture. And it shows um, what a strange man he is. Rob, you look really disturbed. I don't know what's going on now. I don't understand why this story exists. Wait. He's glad that his own days of fronting big news shows, big shows are behind him. He turns 60 in May and says, I honestly don't, know what to, don't want to go back to a five-day-a-week show, month in, month out, because it sucks a lot of the life out of you. And besides, Judy doesn't want to go back to television. She's been there, got that T-shirt. There's no chance of us doing a double act together again. Maylie and Finnegan have four children, twin sons Tom and Dan from Judy's first marriage, and Jack, 29, and Chloe, 28, plus a granddaughter. They are all close. Jack is a talent manager whose portfolio includes his father. (laughs) Oh my God, really? While Chloe, who's been dating the six-foot, four-inch, 18-stone England rugby star James Haskell for the past 18 months, runs a personal training and nutritional advice business. She has more than 50,000 Twitter followers, but like so many of those who tweet, has suffered from online abuce. She's, she's also, also very um, easy in the eyes, I think it's fair to say. She's, to me, she looks like Richard Madeley. She's also earned something of a tag of selfie queen for posing for so many photographs of her well-toned physique on social media sites. She's more than capable of taking care of herself and I don't lose sleep about her being in the public eye, says Madeley. She's seen her parents having to cope with that and we're not dead and we haven't gone mad and we don't shoot up heroin, so she knows she, she, you can negotiate the rocks. Alex, can you sweep that quote again, please? She's seen her parents having to cope with that and we're not dead, we haven't gone mad and we don't shoot up heroin, so she knows you can negotiate the rocks. <laughs> As an author, Maley is still negotiating the rocks. The night book is the first of a new three-book deal. He sounds like he had a lot of fun writing Sebastian. He's a fictional character, but I was, of course, a radio reporter. When I started, like him, I was hopeless. And just like him, nearly got the sack after three months. Maley's main problem was that he spoke too quickly. Listeners to Radio Carlisle called in to complain because I was gabbling so much, he says. He still talks faster than he does when he's broadcasting and he swears a lot, which he never does on screen or in a radio studio. If I had a swear box at home, I'd be penniless by now and sleeping on the streets, he laughs. His only other vice is drinking more wine than the government thinks he should, but so does every other single person I know, he says. He gave up smoking 20 years ago after interviewing Nigella Lawson's husband, John Diamond, shortly before his death from throat cancer. He's been with Judy since they met in a TV newsroom in 1983, and despite their 30 years together, the couple is still a source of media fascination, perhaps because people just can't believe that a high-profile media couple like Rich and Judy have such a strong marriage, Rob. And most recently, drones were sent to overfly their back garden in search of pictures. How can we forget? Yeah, he does mention that as well. He says, All anybody would have seen was me in my surf shorts reading the papers. Judy was indoors working on a new novel at the time. He says, adding Riley, I'm afraid that's about as exciting as I get it gets in our home. Now, Rob, before I finish, I'm just going to read you the very short prologue from the new book, The Night oh Book. Oh, my God. <laughs> Right, here goes. Okay, I'll get comfortable. <clears throat> July, 1976. It was still early, but the lake was warm. Unnaturally warm, she thought, as she walked steadily into its shallows, her bare feet casting the first disturbance of the day across the glassy surface. 
In all her solitary visits here over the years, she had never known the water to be as smooth and balmy and as welcoming as this. Beyond the immediate shimmering ripples she had created, the reflection of the parched, sun-baked hills surrounding the lake had extraordinary clarity. She could have been looking into a vast, perfectly polished mirror, the sky waiting for the sun to make its entrance from behind a brooding shoulder of scorched mountain to the east was the same vivid blue in these waters as in the cloudiness bowl above her. Cloudless bowl above her. I apologise. There was still something, there was something wrong with the lake this year. It was shrunken, diminished, humbled by the pitiless sun. I like that metaphor, Robert, a lake being humbled by the sun. Yeah, it's uh, great. She had to hobble across the unfamiliar flat rocks that were normally hidden beneath the surface before at last reaching a strange new shoreline. She considered it for a few moments and then quickly undressed. There was no one else in sight. It was the lake in the next valley that was attracting curious visitors. This extraordinary stretched unprecedented summer. The waters there had now receded so far that the roofs and walls of a long drowned village were beginning to emerge. She hadn't driven over yet to see it herself, but those who had, re- but those who had reported that it looked eerie like the bones of a corpse slowly rising, dripping to the surface. Well, no, that makes sense, yeah. Sort of. I mean, it's, we are talking about rich maybe here, so... She said that the crooked medieval church steeple, which had been the first ruined fragment to silently reappear, resembled a witch's hat. The place was oddly unsettling, and almost everyone drawn to the banks of the dark, shrinking waters found themselves increasingly uneasy. Few loitered there, She waded further out into the lake so that it began to rise above her thighs. It remained tepid, even this far from the shore. Today, swimming naked would be an uncomplicated pleasure and not the physical challenge it usually was, one that, if she was honest, she only enjoyed afterwards as she toweled herself dry, glowing with (laughs) puritanical pleasure. She flexed her knees slightly and stood on tiptoe, pushing her body forward and down. The lake caressed and upheld her. Slowly she swam, Breaststroke, moving further and further away from the shore, reveling in the Mediterranean warmth. She dipped deeper beneath the surface. Ten seconds later, she began to drown. <laughs> well, I, mean, I didn't see it coming. Ten seconds later, she began to drown. Indeed, Rob. Makes you want to read more. Judy... Leave now. Okay, Rob, it is time for the listener story of the week. But before we begin, please stand and respect the European anthem, Ode to Joy. It's Ode to Joy? Yes. This is great. I love Ode to Joy. But you could also imagine it being quite fascist, no? Well, I mean... Uh, Matt, this is... When, yeah. when I think Ode to Joy, I always think of, of Mozart's Night Symphony. So. Alright, get on with it. So, I'm just saying, I love that piece of music. I mean, this is good, this is rousing. It's better than the fucking. God save the Queen. Anyway. I uh, change our national anthem to Jerusalem. That's a great idea. I'd like that. Yeah. Thank you, Rob. So, this week, the story was sent in by Steve, who we've obviously already, already featured on the podcast. And um, it's kind of a paper we haven't featured before called The New Shopper. Uh, I don't know where it is, uh, although he says it's somewhere down here, so anyway. Very amusing, Rob. Thank you. Uh, the headline, she must be avoided. Hilarious sign warns a bar... Oh, hang on a minute. Is this the dogging story you told me not to read? Yes. I did read it. Oh, you fucker. 
Yeah, I did, and I lied to you that I didn't read it. And you know why? To get you back for the goose. You didn't read it, did you? Yeah, I did. It's oh. about a woman. It's about that thing that's posted on a tree. Oh, you I skimmed. I skimmed it. I didn't read it properly because I decided to be nice to you, unlike you, who read everything about the goose. Not everything. I missed some bits. Yeah, but you warned me, and I, I, I was aware of your warning. Well, that's not right. You're not, you're not spiting me. You're you, spiting the list. To be fair, you didn't tell me it's from the new shop, so I did come across the dogging story back, and then I realised this did, must be the story. Did I or did I not say, please avoid the dogging story? Yes, you did. But there are many dogging stories that go on up and down this great country we call England. Good. Okay. So, headline again, for those who may have missed it first time round. She must be avoided. Hilarious sign warns a Barnhurst dumpy pervert. <laughs> Which, again, is a great episode. Title. Title. Thank you. It's a, a tad loud. <laughs> Sorry, I'm feeling really passionate about the EU. Doesn't it get you going? Don't you really believe in this? No. Well, come on. I like the to join, like I said. So, this, I'll be with the sign first. Warning. Please be warned about this woman. Description. White. Five foot ten inches. Are you going to read the thing that's on the tree? This is it. Yeah, you're going to read it all. Yeah. Yeah, great. So, sorry. I couldn't see it. Can I see it on yours? So. Oh, you can, you, oh, you've zoomed into it. Oh, you managed to get it. Yeah, great. Go on then. Description. Five foot... Uh, sorry, description. White. Five foot, four inches. Dumpy build. Middle-aged. Dark blonde. Shoulder length. Bushy hair. White glasses. And walks a grey dog. Sounds like you with a wig. <laughs> I mean, I can't disagree with that. <laughs> Lives locally. This woman is a disgusting pervert. Friendly at first, but be warned, she has an agenda. Both she and her partners are doggers, trying to <laughs> test their test their waters to see if you want to join their dirty antics. I am warning you because I was naive and thought she was just overly friendly. She made acquaintances, then makes remarks and advances that are sexually motivated. Right. Invite you to midnight walks with the dog, except there is no dog. Mm. She must be avoided. When she tried to... Sorry, t- Rob, is this... A- Oh, so I'm just getting to, is this the prologue to which it made his new book? <laughs> yes, this is where it comes on. After the gold uh, drawings. Right, I yeah. thought, because it was sounding similar. Yeah. She must be avoided. When she tried to touch me in my special place, I knew she was a dirty pervert dogger. Can I just make a bid for just calling the episode Dirty Pervert Dogger? I just want to say to Richard, Judy is entitled to some kind of sexual interaction. Occasionally, occasionally, mate. She's Come walking on. her dog. You know, you're at home writing a shitty novel. Yeah. I don't think describing your wife as dumpy is very nice. No. Um, she just doesn't. Judy does have shoulder length, blonde, blonde hair. She does, and how old is this? Uh, it doesn't say how old she is, but um, middle no. middle age maybe. Yeah. Although she's probably getting old a bit. Um, nice Rob. She got very abusive when it, when I challenged her on her actions. She's trying to arrange seedy get-togethers on the field. If she offers you a man, <laughs> she offers you a ten man, a ten man train, or asks if you like pearly. A ten man train. A ten man train. Oh, yeah. My. God. Or offers you a... I can't always think what it says. I think it says pearly... Pearly something. I don't want to know. You know it's time to walk away. We have seen all the stockings on the bushes. Give her a wide berth. Now, so that's, that's, the, uh, that's the, the warning. A hilarious sign has popped up near uh, Barnhurst Golf Course to warn residents about a dumpy pervert who must be avoided. The sign attached to a tree reportedly close to the club in uh, May Place Road East... Disguise the woman as a, as a disgusting pervert who attempts to tempt dog walkers to take part in dogging and is looking to arrange a seedy get-together in a nearby field. Well, I think we've got the flavour of that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, all it is, the story just goes on and just covers exactly what's been said on the poster, really. Now, any comments? Quality journalism from the new shopper, as always. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
let's have a look. Is there any, uh, oh yeah, there's only one comment really worth reading out. Uh, now, this is from a commenter who I think may have featured on the podcast before. His name is... Jippo Joe? Yes, that yes, is. Yes, yes. I have a very good authority that <laughs> it's one of the ladies from the shopper office. Just saying, isn't it? Right. So I think he's trying to lose it and maybe one of the... I mean, it could be one of the journalists. I think it's unlikely. Oh. That, I'm surprised they haven't removed that. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. You think they might have taken that down? It just shows... Uh, how on it. Remember, remember, we already know the new shopper are just very, very busy trying to gain revenue from their customers. Oh, good point, yeah. By the way, uh, I've now realised every time I visit the new shopper or the Daily Echo, there's obviously been some agreement between local papers to do this. You now get a pop-up at the bottom. Well, it's not a pop-up. It's a banner that comes up at the top, which obscures half the story. And you cannot remove it, which you tells to you to turn off reading. ad. No, it's no, you can't oh. get rid of it. It says, "Please turn off ad blocker because we spend a lot of money getting our advertisers to be on the site and everything." You're else. shitty. Yeah. Oh, that's why I use a I use a browser with ad blocker. That's why I haven't Same seen man. it. So, so do I. They've managed. That's to... why they totally turned off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I haven't, totally I haven't seen it. Oh god. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for that story. This is what Steve? our Brexit's done. Steve. Steve. Steve yes. Yeah. Right, uh, Rob. As the uh, strains of uh, this. Uh, Beautiful anthem disappear into the background because we are, of course, leaving. Bye. Would you like to finish the episode this week by singing uh, God Save the Queen? No. Okay. But what I will do, Rob, is say that we uh, end this episode after 182 and we look forward with a mixture of eager anticipation yet trepidation. Well, so just the future generally. Yeah. And uh, to the next episode, which will be episode 183, as we move ever more forward, Rob, like a nation proudly declaring its sovereignty and removing itself from the oppressive and restrictive and tyrannical European Union. Or, and, or, or you know, you could look in other ways as well. I'm not sure you really can. Not if you look into it. But, uh, we, right, but okay, as we right, extricate right. ourselves we'll from this, Alex. it's time for the episode to, time to say goodbye to the episode, but the episode has something to say that it'd like to say first, Rob. It doesn't only want to say goodbye to you. Right. also wants to say goodbye to the European Union. I'm not doing it if he's it. not here. Yeah. I'm not doing it if, if he have not got the puppet. Uh, well, he, the, 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 that was merely a... a, 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 a I'm not doing a, it, Alex. It, it's merely an identity, uh, it may which well he be. has. Right. Bye, Rob! And bye, the EU! You can both fuck each other, that's all I care, in a ten-man train. You dumpy shit. Bye! There we go. I think he said his piece, Rob. That's nice. That's good. <laughs> Don't have to say anything now. Yeah. Anything left to say? Anything yeah. at all left to say? Yes, we can be found on our website, which is lapodcast.net. We're on Twitter at, at lapodcast. We're on Facebook at facebook.com, facebook.com forward slash lapodcast. And of course, if you want to email us a story, you can send it to us. You can post it on Twitter, on Facebook, or you, sorry, you can tweet it to us, post it on Facebook, or you can send it to lapodcast.net at gmail.com. That's lapodcast.net at gmail.com. And if you want to find us, go to our website, lapodcast.net, and you can donate to us there, donate to this very worthy cause, or... Don't worry about either of Rob's and I's political views. Donate to the podcast. It really help us. Or you can go to iTunes and search for Alex and Rob, LA Podcast, local news will come up, whichever one of those you do, hopefully. And please hit subscribe and leave us a review. We really appreciate that. Absolutely. I think it's fair to say, Alex, if they are of maybe a slightly right-leaning bent, I don't think they listen to this podcast. (laughs) If if they are, I hope that they're making it this far. Yeah, I hope their minds will be broad enough to include us in in their right wing tent. Anyway, I'm tired, Rob. God bless. Yeah, it's been a long day. And, I said, uh, God bless. Oh, okay, and uh, yeah, and um, what's the uh, keep it local? That's it. <laughs>